You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked On Mets on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. Well, another game, another loss for the New York Mets as they drop their first in this series with the Chicago Cubs. As always, going to talk about that game in the first half of the podcast. Later on, we're going to talk about the Mets and some wholesale changes they made today as far as their pitching coaches are concerned. They cleaned house. They brought in some new voices. So talk about how that impacts the Mets and what that means for the organization as a whole. But before we get into any of that, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsMariahsOnline.com. Great site for you guys to check out covering all things New York Mets. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. So Thursday night's game was a battle of a pair of spot starters as the Chicago Cubs were without Kyle Hendricks and were forced to pull Tyler Chatwood out of their bullpen to have him make this start. And then on the other side for the Mets, without Noah Syndergaard, they called up Walter Lockett to make his Mets debut. And so he got the start there. Now the Mets were able to jump out to a quick lead, but really the first couple innings of this game are more of a product of missed opportunities than the success that the Mets actually had. So while they put up three runs, it really could have been much more. And this all starts in the first inning as Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo, the two guys that are really worth watching at this point on this Mets team, they let off the game with the pair of hits. They got things going, but then Robinson Cano came up to the plate. He's still batting third, which really I, I would really think about putting Conforto there, moving Cano you know, down in the lineup. He has not hit at all this year. And I, I really have no explanation for why that is. Uh, he's supposed to be your three-hitter, but again, if he's not performing, should get a better guy at the top of that lineup. And in this particular bat, that comes back to bite the Mets as Cano hits into a double play, and the Mets end up getting out of the inning without scoring a run. Then in the second inning, Todd Frazier led things off with a walk before Wilson Ramos got on base as Tyler Chatwood Made a throwing error trying to get him out at first on a little, you know, dinked ground ball. Anyway, that put two runners on. And then a Rosario came up and he drew a walk on a full count to send up Carlos Gomez with the bases loaded. Now, there's two things you don't want to happen when Gomez comes up. The worst would be a strikeout. I guess the second worst would be a pop out. But the other thing that you don't want to happen is a double play ball. And that's exactly what Carlos Gomez hit. It did score one run, but it basically ended the rally because Walter Lockett was coming up to the plate after Gomez. So another missed opportunity as the Mets, 
you know, should have capitalized and at least gotten a couple runs, but through the first two innings, they only had one run. Then in the third inning, once again, it was McNeil and Alonzo with Jeff getting a base hit and then Pete Alonzo hitting his 25th home run of the season. The exit velocity on that homer was 117 miles per hour as Alonzo just tears the cover off the ball. But that put the Mets up 3-0 and they looked in position to maybe take the game. Especially considering the fact that Walter Lockett looked really sharp in his first couple innings. He retired the side in order in both frames. He is a ground ball pitcher and he was getting his grounders. There was four ground balls and two strikeouts through those first six batters. So he was really in a nice little groove and the turning point came in the third inning. First, Carlos Gonzalez got a base hit. Then the pitcher had a sack bunt that moved him over. But the real turning point in this game was the at-bat by Daniel Descalso for the Cubs. He fell behind 1-2 and two to lock it. And this was, you know, maybe a telling sign of why Lockett has not found success at the big league level or hasn't, you know, stayed at the big league level very long despite a long career in the minor leagues. And he doesn't have a put-away pitch. So with that 1-2 and two count, the Scalso fouled off five pitches, worked a full count in what turned into an 11-pitch at bat before he found a hole in the infield and scored Gomez from second base. And at that point, the wheels really fell off for Lockett. He walked the next batter he faced. Then Chris Bryant had a little blue pit into right field that scored a run. And from there, Anthony Rizzo came up and really you know, put the death blow on the Mets in this game. Laced a double down the right field line, which scored two. Javi Baez followed that with a triple, which scored another. That put the Cubs up 5-3. to three. And then Baez would score on a wild pitch to cap off a six-run inning. And that's pretty much the ball game. I mean, there's really not much more to talk about with this particular game because from there it was, you know, a battle of bullpens. And the Mets just couldn't get anything going offensively. Todd Frazier did hit a home run in the ninth inning, but this was after Javi Baez had hit one in the seventh inning, so the Mets still had a three-run deficit to try to come back from. Wilson Ramos did walk after Frazier hit the home run, so you thought they might have had a little rally going. Ahmed Rosario worked a full count, but then he struck out, and then Carlos Gomez grounded out before Dominic Smith struck out to end the game. So, Again, the Mets just unable to you know put anything really together offensively. They hit into you know, three double plays in the first four innings, so that's you know a horrible way to start things out. And when you do that, you're going to lose a lot of games. And in the end, I mean, you can criticize Walter Lockett all you want, but you also have to credit the Cubs. I mean, they put together quality at bats after quality at bats. Really wore down Lockett. He wasn't able to put anyone away. And, you know, they eventually hung, you know, a really big number on him in that third inning. And the Mets lose this game 7-4. to four. But while they did lose tonight, the real headline of the day is the fact that the Mets fired both their pitching coach and their bullpen coach. So we're going to talk about all the different factors that went into that decision when we come back from the break and what it means for this franchise moving forward. All right, you're back listening to Locked on Mets. And one thing that I failed to mention that I wanted to bring up here in the second half was the performance of Wilmer Font, which is really uh, the most positive thing you saw in this particular game against the Cubs. Font, once again, was put into that situation of being the long man. 
and he's been really thriving in that role. If you look back at his last, you know, three appearances, he's gotten 26 outs while only allowing a single run, so that's really impressive. His last time out was against the Cardinals where he pitched three innings and did not allow a hit. He did walk one batter and struck out three in three innings of scoreless relief. And again today, three innings of scoreless relief. In this game, Font was really an escape artist. He he walked a batter in his first inning of work in the fourth inning, but then struck out the side. In the fifth inning, though, Font had walked a batter. He gave up a double to put runners at second and third. He intentionally walked a batter to load the bases, but through all that traffic, worked his way out of the jam without allowing a run. And then in the sixth inning, he struck out two more and pitched a 1-2-3 frame. So Wilmer Font has been really good for the Mets this year, or at least in the month of June particularly, where he's sporting a 0.93 ERA across nine and two-thirds innings pitched. So they found something in Font. Now, I don't think that you should overreact and think Font's going to be your late-inning guy, but a good long man for a team that you know is struggling right now, and that that's a good thing. And if he keeps pitching really well, then maybe he does earn you know some more work and some more opportunities. He's only pitched you know in five games this month, so maybe that will pick up over time. But again, Wilmer Font, he's spinning a really good curveball. Uh, you know he's getting by. He he's done well, so we'll see if that can continue. Um, you know I I probably got a little carried away early in the year by some performances from Drew Gagno, so I don't want to do that again here. When it comes to Font, but he has pitched well as of late. All right, now let's get into the real story of the day, which is that the Mets have fired pitching coach Dave Island and bullpen coach Chuck Hernandez, and they have brought in Phil Reagan to be the new pitching coach and Ricky Bonus to reclaim his role as the Mets bullpen coach. Let's start talking about the new voices for this Mets pitching staff. Phil Reagan, he's 82 years old, which is what everybody is talking about. But this is a baseball lifer. He was a pitching coach with both the Indians and the Chicago Cubs. At one point, he was also the manager of the Orioles for a short time. He served as the Mets pitching coach in Port St. Lucie from 2009 through 2015, which is probably the biggest reason for this hire. He you know, has experience with all the guys in your starting staff, except for Jason Vargas. All those young guys that came up through the Mets system, some of the guys in the bullpen. It, it's a familiar voice that they know. So for an interim pitching coach, you could do worse, okay? Ricky Bonus is the one part of this thing I like because his players have always clearly respected him. Um, they missed him out there in that bullpen. The bullpen has struggled so much. To get you know that, that type of a voice back, I, I like that side of this thing. Um, you know, Chuck Hernandez was new to the team. You know, what kind of pull does he really have with some of those guys? I like bringing Bonus back. Another side of this is they have added a pitching strategist um, to the organization. His name is Jeremy Accardo. He was serving as the Mets minor league pitching coordinator, 37 years old, former major league pitcher. So they didn't really explain what that role is other than the title of pitching strategist, but you have to assume it would combine some form of analytics um, with how the Mets are attacking hitters. I would just assume with where this organization is going. So, you know, there's nothing to criticize on that. But let's get into the real crux of the problem here, and it is the fact that the Mets 
are essentially making Dave Island uh, a scapegoat for what has been a horrible season up to this point. This is coming off the heels of the day before the Mets refusing, manager Mickey Calloway and the third base coach, both refusing to take responsibility for a brutal send that didn't necessarily cost the Mets a game when Gary DiSarcina, the third base coach, sent J.D. Davis to get thrown out at the plate, you know, ending what would have been a bases-loaded rally uh, with one out. So the day before, big mistake. No one wants to be held accountable. Then now you're going to blame the entire season of failure on one man or two men? Really? Like, that's just not a good message, especially when... You've hung on to your manager because you didn't want to send out that scapegoat message because Brody Van Wagenen stood in front of the media when you know everyone was talking about Callaway losing his job and said, I'm as accountable as anyone. I helped build this team. Now we're going to fire the pitching coach. So that's kind of tone deaf. And the other side of this is Dave Island is a very accomplished pitching coach. He's won two World Series, one with the Yankees in 09 and one with the Royals against the Mets in 2015. Also, part of this that concerns me is the fact that Jason Vargas is partially still on this team due to the strong recommendation of Dave Island to let the guy figure it out. And he has been you know, a revelation as of late. How much of that can we credit to Dave Island and his commitment and his work with Vargas? I don't know the answer to that. You'd have to ask Vargas, but you can kind of you know connect those dots a little bit. So uh, that side of it isn't great. And then, it's again, it's the optics of the whole thing. This season cannot be blamed strictly on one person. Okay, It starts, it, it always starts from the top. And excuse me as I'm going to rail on the Wilpons for a second here, but they are meddlesome, especially Jeff Wilpon, who continues to serve as the team president when organizations across sports have turned that into you know, an, a, a leadership role that usually goes to the general manager, whoever's making those decisions. And there's a lot of times there's a team president that's above the GM that's helping make all of these moves, and then you have a general manager. Like Theo Epstein for the Cubs, he is not their GM like most people think he is. He is the team president. Jed Hoyer is the vice president and general manager. So that's the structure that you see through the best teams in sports. And the Mets still have Jeff Wilpon as the president. And he's a meddlesome owner. And after this move, Brody Van Wagenen did not you know, claim credit for it. He said it was an organizational decision when pressed on whether this was his decision and his decision alone. That tells me, as Brody Van Wagenen has been a guy who's had a lot of bravado, who has talked about his own accountability in the past, who usually, you know, puts himself out there and says, I made that decision. So that tells me that, you know, maybe Wilpon went over his head on this one. Just because he was frustrated and he wanted somebody to get fired, so let's just fire the pitching coach. That's what I don't like about this thing. Because to me, that's what this this all points to. Personally, in my near 24 years of life, I have watched this team for a long time very closely. And just during that time span, I saw a team in 2006 who looked to be you know, set to own New York for years to come. They had young players in David Wright and Jose Reyes. 
They were spending money like the Yankees, bringing in Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin, Carlos Beltran. Everything looked right with the Mets. Then what did you see happen? They just barely missed the World Series in 06. 07 08, they have two of the most you know, incredible collapses you can have at the end of a season. Then there's the Madoff scandal, the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme scandal that resulted in the Wilpons losing a lot of money. They stopped spending. And from that point on, it has been clear that their number one motivation has been the bottom line. They fired Omar Minaya and brought in Sandy Alderson to try to you know, create Moneyball in New York City. They handcuffed Alderson the entire time before bringing Manaya back into the organization because they realized how good he was at talent evaluation. And, you know, now they fired Alderson. And when it comes to hiring the next general manager to bring you into the future, instead of doing what the industry would have dictated, what everyone was saying the Mets should do, which is hire Heim Bloom, a guy cut from the same, you know, Theo Epstein-like cloth, a guy that is young, who has spent his entire career working in front offices, building one of the most interesting teams with the Tampa Bay Rays, someone who knows analytics inside and out, knows the way this game is going, just like you see the teams like the Astros who have been successful with guys like this being involved. The Dodgers you know, have gone to two World Series and look like they're on the way to a third one with this analytical approach. And this guy was telling the Mets ownership, Look, it is time to look towards the future. 2019 is not your year, but I believe we can build this into something really great. If you trade some of the pitching you have with the guys you have coming up, let's see what we can turn this team into in two to three years. Wilpons didn't want to hear that. They went and they hired Brody Van Wagenen, a salesman agent who really liked working with clearly because they've signed so many of his players and they just wanted to work with the guy. So that was a mistake. I really believe it was. Now, can Brody Van Wagenen still be a good general manager? Yes. He's a smart guy. He is a very accomplished professional who rose to be a top agent in baseball. He can learn on the job and become really good at this. But in his first offseason, everything he did has kind of blown up in his face, aside from a few select moves, and it's been the smaller moves that have worked. He has mortgaged their future by trading top prospects for Robinson Cano, who looks completely washed. And he built this bullpen, which has turned into one of the worst bullpens in baseball. So those are the guys that really are to blame here. Yet those are the guys that aren't leaving. You can't fire the players. They're not going to fire Brody Van Wagenen. And you can't get rid of ownership. So it's up to those you know groups of people to turn this thing around, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. Now, if I'm the Mets, I would really start turning your eye towards the 2020 season, and then they got to focus youth at this point. There's talk about going to a Conforto, Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil outfield, and Brandon Nimmo's absence. While that is going to be atrocious defensively, I would do it so all the kids continue to get at bats. See if Dominic Smith can actually play in left field every day because the bat is going to play. So see what that looks like. Um, you know, getting Jeff McNeil some experience in right field since he's probably going to be playing the super utility role, that's not going to hurt them either. So I, I just think you got to start looking towards the future 
And maybe in doing that, you'll improve your fortunes for this season as well. Anyway, that is it for the podcast today. The Mets will be playing three more games in Chicago over the weekend, and we will have full coverage of that series on Monday. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Mets.